Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, John Cross of the Daily Mirror, and Don Fifield of The Athletic. At last, in this seemingly endless season, we're approaching the moment of truth. Three wins, and Manchester City will be European champions in 10 days. We all know the backstory the money, the mistrust, the state sponsored ambitions. But isn't this more basic? This is about hugely talented individuals doing it when it matters most. Have they the character to persevere? Let's put it into context, John. Is this City's best chance of winning the Champions League? Without question. This is a glorious opportunity for Manchester City. I do think that we've been a little bit too quick to write off Lyon because I think everyone wrote off Lyon before the Juventus tie. So I was amazed to see in one of the pieces in the paper that, that, that City are currently 14-1 to 1 on to beat Leon, would you believe, with one of the bookmakers. And they're the clear favourites also to win the, the trophy outright. So I do think it has to be seen as a, as, as a wonderful opportunity. Listen, the, the, you know, they should get through, I think, to, to the semi-finals, And they're playing quite nicely, thank you. I, I do think that, that they showed, particularly in that second leg against Real Madrid, a nice fluency. I think that some of the teams in, in this competition will be worried most about a little bit of rustiness because their seasons have finished there and, and here and all over the all over the place, frankly. And City, despite some some bizarre defeats actually in Project Restart at the end of the Premier League, actually found quite a nice rhythm and quite a nice uh, understanding. Of course, they'll miss Sergio Aguero who would have been such a boost for them if he were fully fit and playing and being able to to sort of kind of round off the chances. But Gabriel Jesus, you know, you can't argue with his man of the match performance against Real Madrid. So he brings a different quality to it. They're moving forward, aren't they, basically? You know, Phil Foden getting his chance, I thought was a wonderful difference for City. And if City can find some sort of defensive stability, because I think... At various points, whether it's now or indeed the semi-final, because it's shaping up to be a, a you know a massive semi-final. Frankly, it could be 
the semi-final almost could be the final, let's be honest, because whether they get Bayern or Barcelona, that will be their ultimate test. And if they can get through that, then surely they'll be European champions. But this will, this feels like the holy grail for Pep Guardiola. This, this feels like his opportunity. This feels like his wonderful opportunity to to basically say see I told you so and he gets so annoyed doesn't he you could see him getting so visibly frustrated post-match whenever they've gone out previously and I think I've done all of those games in recent times when they have crashed out you know whether that's in Monaco or whether it's kind of you know various disappointing times in the past this is a wonderful opportunity everyone's in you know in the same rules and understanding it's a bizarre tournament and this is a great, great chance for City, which I sincerely hope they'll take. It's an interesting test of management, isn't it, Don? Because it seemed to me that Pep made a conscious decision to sustain the intensity of, of their end of their domestic season. Didn't really give them a lot of time off. Made sure that they trained for two weeks before the Real Madrid. Almost had another training camp. And I suppose he must be piqued by you know, the assumption that Liverpool deserve all the craze. Because if you think of it, City still dominated the rest of the Premier League, didn't they? You know, their goal difference this season, plus 67, equaled those of Manchester United, Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal combined. So is this where we see Pep in his element? Yeah, I I, I take the point. Um, I don't... I suppose dominating the rest of the Premier League, but they 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 were fallible, though, weren't they? That was that's that is the that was the point of their season. That was a sort of the the lingering impression of Manchester City's season was you know they they would wipe the floor with most comers. I mean, they, you know, they, they were perfectly capable of of hitting teams for five, six, seven, eight, but they could also slip up. They could also have that Southampton experience where they have twenty five to twenty six shots and don't score, and then lose the game one nil. I mean, it's. And and that maybe hints at the the fallibility at the back that we've we've spoken about at length over the, the course of the last twelve months, really fifteen months. At times, they as, as daft as it sounds for a team that is that prolific, they can also be profligate, and that is a worry when you go into a knockout tie like this. I mean that that's you know, on paper they'll they'll wipe the floor with Leon. I mean, and then they'll go into the next whoever comes out of the Barca. Bayern tie, and that you'd imagine that City would probably, if they play to their full capacity, they would be favourites for that tie as well. But, but I think there's there's there, there is always the capacity at that at the moment with that team to to have one of those off days. They don't get tested in the same way in the in the in the Premier League every week. I mean, I know the standards great in the in the Premier League generally speaking, it's it's raised, but they are streets ahead of of so many teams in that division and on their day they just they just they're scintillating and they they can't there's no containing them but as we say there's been an inconsistency this season and that's been their Mm. issue I suppose one of the attractive things about this type of competition is it really focuses attention on the relative merits of of the leagues around Europe I know we talk about it ad nauseam is this at this level John where we find out how good the the Premier League is in terms of its top clubs. Yeah, I do think so. I, I, can I just add an interesting point, actually, just on kind of preparations and where teams are? I remember when, when in those early stages of Project Restart, when teams returned back, that Man City, if you remember, their first training session back was on uh, on a Saturday, I think. 
which was nearly a week later than almost all of their Premier League rivals, the majority of which went back on the Tuesday. And a few of us, myself included, thought, what? That's strange. And you know what it was? Pep Guardiola realised that the Premier League title had already gone. So what's he going to focus on? The Champions League, because he knew that if things went well, out the other side, his team would need maybe an extra week, an extra two weeks. And I just think when you look back upon it, it felt like a crazy gamble at the time, but it's just a stroke of sheer genius. I, I, I'm still in the Guardiola genius camp. And I do think that basically, I remember reporting on that, that Southampton game that was Don referred to. And it was, I think, their ninth defeat of the season, of the Premier League season, which was which was just incredible. I still ended up writing, it still takes something extraordinary to beat the City team, because I genuinely believe that. It's just that basically it has produced nine extraordinary performances to beat them. But partly self-inflicted. And I just think that going back to that league comparison, I don't know that many other leagues, This and this is almost the point, would basically have such a top team and the team that is second and, and, and sort of kind of closest rivals would make that many mistakes. So you could look at Barcelona and La Liga, but actually that City end, ended up beating Real Madrid twice. And I think that basically the Premier League, to me, is... is, is I mean, I, I, I'm a huge fan of, of European football. I subscribed to every channel going and watching and watched it and, and, and loved it and always kind of make, that, make those comparisons. And I'm still of the view that the Premier League is the most entertaining, is the most dramatic. And I don't know whether it's still the best quality because at times, you know, you do see some absolutely harem, scarem games. But I think Bayern, of all the teams that I've seen this season, are, are the best team that I've seen in the Champions League in, li in live performance. I really, really do. Do I think that the Bundesliga, which, again, I've watched a lot because I've had that opportunity since lockdown and I've loved it, to be honest. And I, I was almost surprised that more people, did, you know, kind of didn't enjoy it. And this talk about, oh, kind of when, when it returned and after two weeks, people lost a little bit of interest. Well, I don't think the real hardcore football fan did because I just think it was... It was still really entertaining and produced some good games. And and I just think, it, it, I don't know whether that quality of game in, game out provided the drama and the excitement that the Premier League does. But whether or not the, the Premier League then provides the best team in Europe, certainly did last season with, with Liverpool, because that you know they, they were European champions. But I, I still look at Bayern, I think individually, as a, as a one-off, if you like, are the best team. But do I think the Premier League is, is, is best overall? Then yes, I do. OK, let's take a look, if we could, at the manager in the other dugout, Dom. As I say, you know, you've, you've had some personal experience of, of living and working in Lyon. Give us a sense of Rudy Garcia as a, as a coach and manager. He seems to be capable of, of maverick choices. He left out Moussa Dembele, didn't he, in the, in the last round? What about Lyon as an institution as well? Well, I think, yeah, you're right. This needs context. Lyon, unless they win the Champions League, they're facing their first year out of European competition since 1997. It's been a traumatic season for them. They've been through uh, Silvino's very, very short and, and ill-fated spell as, as, as manager. Rudy Garcia... <sighs> I wouldn't say. I mean, look, he got them through in the Champions League, which was which was great, and and 
that's hinted at what this team is capable of, but the league form was still patchy. They went into the final weekend of the league and season normal in fifth place and then proceeded to lose to Lille and drop from fifth to seventh. And then when lockdown was imposed and the league cancelled, they suddenly found themselves out of European competition qualification places in, in domestically. They still had the sort of carrot of the the French Cup final in which they actually did quite well. They, they took the to Paris Saint-Germain to penalties, but again, they lost. So they've had a, a very difficult season, and it's one that's actually been quite acrimonious of late. We have, we've got Jean-Michel Aulas, the, their president since 1987, threatening all sorts of legal action against against the French government, against the French League, um, everybody, anyone who's coming, really, to be honest, because he feels that the, the League should have been completed. The support is disgruntled and doesn't like Rudy Garcia. They've been... There've been chants, there've been death threats, there've been, and the club actually, I think, issued a, a statement just just before lockdown, calling for for calm almost, and 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 threatening sanction against any supporters that were that were doing this against the the, the team and the management. So it's it's been a really traumatic time for them. So in that context, for them to put Juventus out is quite something, albeit it was largely done prior to lockdown. I mean, they they lost in. They lost the game in Turin, so and went through on the away goal in the end. But this is a club that that hasn't won a major trophy since 2012, and that's not good enough for Lyon. I, I was talking to their former manager Bruno Genesio last night, who's currently coaching in China with Beijing Guan, and, and yeah, he's 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 a Lyon fan. He's he's worked in their academy. He's he's you know had a part in bringing all these this huge talents through into the first team squad at, at Lyon. And he's he's admitting that it's just not been good enough. It's but the landscape's changed. You know the Qataris have changed the landscape in French football. The PSG are now utterly dominant. It's so difficult for Lyon to even contemplate trying to compete to win a trophy like the Champions League, let alone Ligue 1. I mean, it's 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 a really difficult time for them. And and you know even in the in the aftermath of the celebrations last week in Turin, we had Orlas saying we've still only got a you know a million to one chance of of getting anything out of this season, which, and, and, and talking about regret. And that's after they've beaten Juventus. And that, that really sums up the mood around that club. Mm, you mentioned PSG there. Obviously memories of the, of the win over Atalanta are very fresh. Obvious drama in that game. I found that drama was deadened by the sense of privilege. Now, if you think about it, John, they've spent nearly one and a half billion dollars in the last nine years this is going to be their first Champions League semi-final since '95. It's not really a fairy tale, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not really. I've got to be honest because I just think that PSG has so spectacularly accumulated this wealth of incredible attacking talent. Sometimes it makes you feel as well that that basically they remember that also they've got a defence to worry about. I mean, it's just bizarre and. and one of my favourite players has been besieged by injuries of late, sort of Verratti. I, I do think there's a midfield there as well when, when fully fit. But uh, it's no, you're right, Mike. It's not really. But I think we'd be naive to think that that. I mean, blimey! As far as UEFA are concerned, obviously they're, they're not worthy of any more punishment than, than they've received. Of course, you know, so they've not broken in, in, in rules 
beyond anything that they've been punished for. So I know what you're saying, but I still looked at that game and I still absolutely loved it because the the game, the way that they've brought everything together, I love Mbappe. And I do still think, you know, is this is, is this really, you know, because obviously he got injured in a few weeks back, is this him at his best and will he be at his best for, the, for this tournament and I think to that end I wonder whether Neymar has then taken on the extra responsibility which perhaps you know has been lacking from his time at PSG because it would seem to me that basic PSG almost signed him you know on the back of that incredible Barcelona tie a few a few years back really and Neymar just proved his worth on the big occasion Neymar I just thought they couldn't find a goal. They couldn't find a way through. They couldn't find that inspiration. And Neymar, for so long, I've questioned whether or not he he could step up and really be take his place again at the really top table because he certainly belonged there during his Barcelona days. And I think there must be a sense of some disappointment because I think they expected the PSG to kind of elevate PS not just PSG but the French league to a different level. And has he done that yet? Well, I would argue not. But I do think that, that this Champions League and his performances in that, I mean, he's been crowned man of the match after that performance, gives him that opportunity to do so. Going back to, to, to that, I don't think that sort of kind of PSG always sits comfortably, largely because they're so dominant in, in the French League and, and their wealth is, is giving them opportunity to do that. But their burning frustration is that, you know, so far in the Champions League, it proves that, that money can't buy you everything because let's be honest here, they splashed so much money at it through absolutely everything at it to try and win the Champions League because that for them is the dream that elevates PSG and French football to a different level. And you'd still say that they were, they've got this opportunity this season, make no mistake about it. They're seen as being in the easier half of the draw, but can they still get themselves there? I think that most people would sort of argue that they would still be the outside bet for this trophy this year. Well, it year. sounds like they, it does look like they'd struggle against a team of substance like, like Atletico, for instance. I just want to go back to Neymar for a second, Dom. You know, he still has these sort of irritating affectations of celebrity, <laughs> the sort of whinging and rolling around. But he, he took that match on single-handed, didn't he? You know, there were players alongside him who basically just tur- didn't turn up. I think it was looking at the stats, 16 dribbles, which was the most in the Champions League game since Messi in 2008. You had Mbappe, the epitome of the impact sub against a tired team. With those two, they've got a chance, I suppose, haven't they? I thought Mbappe was absolutely outstanding when he came on, considering he was only 80% fit. I think that was a, that was an incredible it was showcasing of his talent, to be honest, and 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 you know fair play to him for for putting that in at a at a desperate fairly desperate time but yeah neymar this is neymar's moment if if neymar is is truly going to be up there with you know, I know the messi's and ronaldo's etc all, all that which he aspires to that's what he's he's desperate to be up on that on that level and to be considered on that level then then he has to he has to perform as he did last night in the remainder of this knockout competition and he has to propel this PSG team forward, and and look, that isn't. I, I don't think that's outrageous to ask him to do that. I mean, quite frankly, he's he's given the the outlay that PSG have, have put in in him to to secure him from Barcelona to pay his wages to keep him at the club. He, you know that that is the responsibility that he would surely relish. Look, I thought his attitude was excellent yesterday, last night. Actually, I thought 
just thought there was no there was no containing him. And I know the goals came very very late, but they were going to come. They were going to come. I felt desperately sorry for Atalanta because that would have been a, a wonderful story in itself, for very different reasons. Um, mm. But but PSG in, into the in, in this stage of the semi finals, I think that that that's probably what the the tournament needs. Uh, it keeps the drama going, and if you have personalities like Neymar and Mbappe illuminating the place, then that's that's just going to add to the drama as well. Yeah, let's look, let's look forward to Friday. John and Barcelona Bayern. Let's concentrate initially on on uh, Barcelona, since you know you pretty much nailed your colours to the mast as far as Bayern are concerned. Do you get a sense that there's an era coming to a close at that club? Yeah, absolutely, I do. Mike, I just it's interesting when we, when we were sort of kind of discussing before the show that basically is it an end of an era? I just kind of looked across the starting eleven of the team against Napoli and it is absolutely all over the shop <laughs> there is no there is no i mean in the past you you've looked at barcelona you've had a clear sight of kind of where they're going and there's a spine and a kind of a real identity to the team and i do look at it obviously you know great goalkeeper that's not in in dispute still argue good good center half and then and then you thought that maybe a year ago they were looking to go in a different direction midfield-wise with the sign of Frankie de Jong. And then basically also you've kind of got this front three, which all season long, frankly, they've struggled to kind of make it work. And it felt like, I mean, there was so much discussion, wasn't there, in, in the Spanish press before that Napoli game kind of one paper had a kind of, you know, sports paper in Spain had a back three, another had a different formation. One paper went for all three up front and the other didn't. And it just felt like the whole talk about the formation was a desperate struggle to kind of get Griezmann, Suarez and Messi into the starting lineup. As it happened, then they did do that against Napoli. And and yes, they, they, they win against Napoli. But there's always, seems to me, an odd man out amongst those three. And it is Griezmann. And Griezmann, Griezmann is supposed to be the future of Barcelona. He's supposed to be the signing for the future that kind of spearheads them moving in a slightly different direction. Because no one is saying that this is the end of Messi. How can you say that? He's, you know, arguably the greatest player of all time. Suarez, perhaps, perhaps... And so basically they're, they're looking to move in this different direction. And the direction that they've gone in so far, i.e. Griezmann, hasn't paid off, frankly. I don't know whether that's because Griezmann feels like the odd man out. It feels like an outsider trying to gate crash. But it's so lopsided, the, the Barcelona lineup. And I was, having said all this, we're having so, so, you know, brutal in my condemnation of what's going to go and beat Bayern Munich now. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't actually feel like that. It doesn't feel like that, you know, capable of doing that. It feels like this is a, a team that's absolutely all over the shop that came second to, frankly, you know, a very bang average Real Madrid team mm. in, in the Spanish league. And they're, they're all over the place at the moment, Barcelona. Yeah, I think the one word I'd use is haphazard. And, you know, Griezmann is the obvious manifestation of that. You know, they're paying him £795,000 a week, by the way, which I just can't get my head around. I suppose also, Dom, does he embody the lack of strategic thinking and the sort of political dysfunction around that club? 
which is basically then it boils down to the basics. What group do you want? How do you want to play? Can they play together? It's those basics that you look at and you can't see. You just wouldn't have envisaged this scenario had Pep Guardiola been in charge, for example, or a, a manager that had a clear or a head coach that had a clear philosophy and vision as to what he wanted his team to do. I don't know, the, the Griezmann transfer, at the time, I, it, it, it seemed a... It seemed a logical refreshing of a front line that had already lost Neymar and that Suarez would need to be replaced at some stage, but it hasn't worked. It just hasn't worked. And, and uh, you know, a player that was absolutely outstanding at Atletico has has felt like a spare part almost, you know, clunky in a, in a clunky machine at Camp Nou. And uh, yeah, there, there are there are there are deeper lying issues, but my, you know, we've said that a lot about a lot of clubs. And it's it's almost it's almost when when one head coach or or his acolytes philosophy sort of peters out or they move on and it's it's about regeneration and what happens next and a lot of clubs struggle with that they just don't they don't get the next move right we've closer to home we've seen it you could argue we've seen it at Arsenal we we might be seeing it now at, at Spurs potentially um, it's we've certainly seen it at Chelsea over the years, haven't we? Mm. It's it's what happens next. And if you get that wrong, and it only takes it only it only takes, you know, splashing a huge fee on a player at seven hundred and ninety five grand a week to to almost make the whole the whole group feel dysfunctional. Because you probably need to re- I mean that's that's pouring all your resources almost into one area when when as we've seen now that they're lacking in 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 all sorts of areas in that team, up and down the lineup. They needed to a more balanced approach to to attacking it all over the all over the field almost, but yeah, that, that's what happens. And look, you know, it's an opportunity for other Spanish clubs to come forward and 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 to yeah to seize seize the chance to to make an impact ahead of ahead of Barcelona. And it's certainly been an opportunity for Real Madrid this season, who've, who've won a, a title domestically in a very very different way to how they would normally do it, basically by by being stingy at the back. I mean, for Real Madrid to do that. That's fairly damning for Barcelona, to be honest. Mm. It is an interesting... We, we know we're living in strange times when a really respected judge and, and journalist like Guillaume Balaguer can go on record and say that Barcelona have been offered Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, again, that would be just throwing oil on the flames, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It would. Be. I mean, it would be. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess. I guess the the issue really for 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 me on that is that yeah. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that takes us back to Louis Figo, doesn't it? I mean, surely, <laughs> surely it can't. Um, surely it can't happen. I I, I just for me, <laughs> take the penalty. It reveals. <laughs> <laughs> it just basically it reveals this you know incredible frustration again you know from Cristiano Ronaldo, who I love Ronaldo. Frankly, I mean, he must be thinking. I, I mean, I looked at it and I still thought that basically that Juve would still go through, you know, in, in despite the, the kind of conceding the, the the goal in the first leg. And Ronaldo, just you, if you sign Ronaldo, you sign Ronaldo to win the Champions League. And I think that basically, it's I think it's more of a statement on, if you like, Ronaldo's frustrations as compared to what. Barcelona need because if Barcelona you know were to press ahead on that it would be even more chaotic can you imagine <laughs> the egos running around and and that's the thing isn't it Barcelona have to 
at some point say we need to build a team here rather than 11 individuals because everyone knows who plays for Barcelona I mean I, I love still to watch them play because it is still drama and, and whatever we say now I think it you know it will be a fabulous match to watch against Bayern a fabulous match up and they will still provide this incredible entertainment because they have that incredible attacking prowess it's just the sheer chaos that is, you know, surrounds them on, on the rest of the pitch, how they can produce such incredible magic and such incredible attacking performances in one-off games in the Champions League as compared to the, the absolute shambles elsewhere in the team because the midfield looks completely unbalanced because of the attacking three. Then it looks also unbalanced because, frankly, they've signed those individuals rather than kind of having an actual plan moving forward they need that stability and they need a manager to come you know to be able to come in and say right and it's the worst possible time obviously on the back of a global pandemic which has absolutely crippled even the biggest guns in football to try and rebuild but they need a complete rebuild because that team looks to me looks ugly at the moment you can't see a proper balance and, and, and can't see any sort of direction and see I, any identity moving forward. And it, it, despite all Barcelona's failings, they've, they've kept that in the last few seasons. And now you just don't know where it's going. Isn't this the, the joy of the Champions League at this stage, though? That the next few days, there's going to be a big club going by the wayside every evening. And each one of those clubs that exits the tournament is going to be plunged into a crisis of some kind. Is it, I mean, I, I go back, my memory goes back to the... You know the Chelsea games in in the late late part latter part of the last decade. You know whenever they met Liverpool, or you could say PSG in the early days after the Qatari takeover, or indeed the tears whenever Bayern were eliminated from a tournament by by anybody. It's the sense of despair that 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 erupts after after their elimination is just something else. And and there are there are always political repercussions from it. Maybe Barcelona need that. Maybe Barcelona need to be need to be humiliated by somebody. I mean, if if the humiliation of losing the La Liga to to this Real Madrid team isn't enough, maybe they need to get absolutely battered by Bayern Munich to to get them to snap into some kind of action or get a, get a plan together as to what happens next. Well, you wouldn't bet against them being battered when you think about it, Dom. Bayern are unbeaten in twenty seven games, going back to that three one win over Spurs in December. You know, in that period, only one draw, 86 goals. They're obviously Europe's form team. They've got a settled defence and they've got a lad up front called Robert Lewandowski. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I just can't see beyond that team. I, I, logically speaking, they win the Champions League. I suspect their supporters, who have been scarred by near misses or or unexpected failings in the, in the past would would argue that, that they will be wary to a certain extent because there is always a the capacity in knockout football for a horrible surprise for something to come out of left field at you but the way that they the way that they put Chelsea to sort to the sword I forget about the game in Bavaria because that tie was dead but the way they put Chelsea to the sword at Stamford Bridge was astounding and, and we know that that's a that's a a fallible Chelsea team it's a Chelsea team with vulnerabilities but that was ruthless that was all over the pitch. Um, 
they were just outstanding and Chelsea looked rudderless and their senior players diminished. They they shrunk back. They, they couldn't cope with it all. When you've got sort of rampaging talents like Alfonso that tearing down the left and, and yeah, and, and, and Lewandowski, who's, who, if he's not scoring goals, he's assisting a, a teammate. Did he have a hand in every single one of those seven goals they scored in the tie? Yes, he Chelsea? did. Yeah, he did. I mean, it is frightening. There's class throughout that, that team and if if you were to, I mean look, I, I I expect them they should go on to win the tournament the a semi-final with Manchester City would be some occasion and and the type of match though that I wish that City had an Aguero fit for because because they would need him I think in, in in that type of match but there is always this nagging doubt with Bayern and Bayern, Bayern supporters that they are capable of imploding for no apparent reason as well I mean the prime example, and I'm sorry to keep bringing this back to Chelsea, but the prime example will always be 2012. There will always be 2012 when, you know, it was all there for Bayern to win it in their backyard and they found a way of messing it up. So they'll be wary, but on paper, they're just, they are the outstanding team in the tournament. They're the team that is, that's ready, that, that they've been geared towards this, they've been building towards this, they're all in their prime. They look frightening. Can can I just go on my little Robert Lewandowski rant? <laughs> go on. <up. laughs> so I was in Munich, I was in Munich last Saturday to 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 watch that the Chelsea game. I also was at Stamford Bridge, and uh, I think after Stamford Bridge, a lot of people were talking about Nabry, really. But after the game in Munich, I just think that that took Lewandowski. I think for forty-seven goals for for Bayern Munich this season. And my little rant about this is, and that basically everyone's in denial afterwards, and I kind of tweeted and wrote about it a little bit as uh, as well in my in my report, is that basically Lewandowski is just, when we have, and I guarantee you guys that we will have it in the course of this next year, oh, Harry Kane is the best number nine in the world. He's world class. Um, hello? I just, it's just, it's just, and we do do that. We fall into this trap every time. And Robert Lewandowski is 31. He's coming up for 32. And he's just, look at his goal record in the last few seasons. And yet we he doesn't, I mean, we all say, and we all admire this incredible striker who's not scoring goals in, in, a, in a weak league. He's scoring them in one of the Europe's super leagues, basically, the Bundesliga. He's so consistent year in, year out for goals, for assists, for huge big game performances. And I just don't ever feel that really he gets the credit and, and, and plaudits that he really deserves. Because there's a lot of rewriting in kind of in our thinking, I think. And, and why do I say this? Look at the, the, the list of Ballon d'Or winners. I mean, everyone would say, oh, wish it had been the 20, you know, that wish that, that this year's vote would have taken place because Lewandowski would have won it for a change. No, he wouldn't. No, absolutely no chance. He's not even been in the top three. The, the, the closest he's got is to winning it is fourth in the voting. And people to say that he, he would have won it this year is just naivety beyond belief because for whatever reason, a centre-forward who just epitomises the brilliance of centre-forward play doesn't seem to capture our imagination in the way that a Messi, Ronaldo and, and, and so on, because they can have a weaker season and they'd still be runaway winners of the Ballon d'Or compared to Lewandowski. And when we have the discussion over kind of Harry Kane, is he world-class leading up to next summer's Euros, 
we'll forget all about Robert Lewandowski. We will. We absolutely will. Come back and remind me of this conversation. <laughs> it's just madness. It's, it's crazy because he is the best number nine, the best central forward. I'm not comparing him to Messi. They're different players. But it's the best central forward by an absolute country mile. And you can also argue that Thiago is the best midfielder left in this competition. They've arguably got, got the best goalkeeper in the world. And Manuel Neuer, or you know, been question marks in couple last couple of seasons, but he seems to be back to his best now. Where is Bayern's weakness? I would suggest it's perhaps central defensively. You can maybe get at them there a little bit. It's Botang and Alaba played there Saturday, and it's I don't know. It's it's hard to pick out weaknesses in this Bayern team, and Bayern, I think by by. By right, I mean, I think they've produced the best two performances that I've seen in the Champions League this season against Spurs and indeed, then indeed against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. They should be European champions. It's up to kind of Man City almost to upset those odds, isn't it, if they meet them in, in the semi-finals. And having said all this, Barcelona will probably beat them. But, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's an it's incredibly exciting time, I think, for, for Bayern. And, and this is their opportunity, I think, to win it for the first time since 2013. OK, let's, um, you know, and I agree with you about Lewandowski, by the way. Let's look at the Europa League, you know, Manchester United. I suppose the question is, can they rouse themselves against Sevilla? Dom, do you think it was a coincidence that both the quarterfinals involving Premier League teams were pretty dull, functional games? Is is fatigue a factor? It certainly seemed to with Wolves, didn't it? Yeah, but Wolves Wolves season started in the nineteen fifties or something, didn't it? It was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, Wolves was a particular. Wolves have got a very small squad, as Nuno has has been at pains to point out post elimination. He's always liked working with a small squad, but he's clearly going to need a bigger one if they're going to compete on two f- such powerful fronts, let's say, Premier League and, and European competition in future years. So that what they did was amazing to get to that stage. To, uh, so they deserve all the credit. and But they were exhausted at the end. United, United have got a, a far better squad, but they had something to chase throughout post-lockdown games. They were chasing Champions League qualification, that top four finish, which they achieved with a finishing third, etc. Played some fantastic football, but they also had the FA Cup up to the semi-final level, and they had a lot of games in a, in a short amount of time. And and a, a level of fatigue was almost inevitable. I would have thought, not least given the the temperatures as well in which they were being asked to play as well. So I, I think that would explain the sort of stodgy nature of of both of those games I still think United have got enough strength in depth and squad wise and they have been they have been shifting selections to ensure that that, that in key areas of the team that they remain as fresh as they possibly can be but it, again it, it just yeah this is this is such a unique scenario such a unique situation given the the, the pandemic and how football has had to to readjust and and cram a load of fixtures into a, essentially a short amount of time and stop start and then you know two weeks off three weeks off suddenly back into european competitions again it's 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 nightmare we touched upon it right at the beginning with city planning ahead but i mean even with city you wonder what's going to happen next season i mean is there going to be some kind of comeback are they going to have enough preparation time to to, to launch into a the 2020 21 season which is only just around the corner as well 
United have got enough resources to to be fine against Sevilla, but this is a very, very, very different test to the Copenhagen that I thought Sevilla were excellent against Wolves. Their, their use of the ball, their monopoly of possession, they've got a canny European know-how. We know how, how often that they they win this competition, this 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 particular trophy is theirs. Is it five times in their history? I think the most anyone's ever won it. I think is, is that relevant though? provide a really um, stern test. Don, I mean, because, United... you know, different teams, different managers. Yes, yes, but I think the philosophy and the, and the drive and the, the onus they put on the competition runs through the club. It has to, it has to. They've got they still got brilliant players. I mean, look, just look at some of the performances the other day. I mean, you can you can argue that uh, that Troy or expose them at centre half with that run, but beyond that, Wolves barely had a look in really. So they've got they're, they're tight defensively. They've got some great attacking forces going forward. They've got a, a, a striker who scored seventeen, eighteen goals this season. They will test United, but United's assets is their front three. That that is what they need to. They, they would have taken heart from the sight of Troy running from inside his own half and, and outpacing that back line. When they've got Greenwood, they've got Rashford, they've got Martial, they've got players of real pace and, and incision. And that will be where United pin their hopes on progress. Mm, also, one of the consistencies of, of, of the season, either pre- or post-lockdown, is that if there are penalties flying around, United usually get given them. Um, <laughs> 21 this season, John. Is that coincidence or something deeper, just a, a byproduct of the way they play? Yeah, I do think it's a byproduct of the way they play. I mean, I think there will always be this accusation, won't there, that basically, oh, United get penalties because Old Trafford crowd and kind of referees being blinded by that. Well, that's kind of disappeared and, and, and they're still getting penalties. And And why do I think that is? Why? Because I think that Greenwood, Rashford and to an extent, Fernandes, are very, very clever, skillful, brilliant players who love to make runs and tease defenders. And I think that they've almost got more players capable of doing that, of kind of making runs into the box and across the box than almost every team I mean Liverpool you know let's be honest here they, they kind of get their fair share of penalties and, and, and sort of also have their players who can run at pace and dribble at pace and that teases defenders into it I do think there's I think we, we look very we're very quick to judge and say oh that, that must be because they're cheating or diving and yet I think sometimes we overlook I mean there's no doubt about it I think I've been at, was it Spurs I think basically when Fernandez certainly tried to con his penalty late on and, and, and get a winner then. So we're not naive to think that basically they don't go in for the dark arts occasionally. But I do think that we sometimes we, we need to look back beyond the kind of tricking and conning a penalty and saying that actually sometimes they can delight and basically provide a bit of skill which can tempt defenders into making rash decisions. Basically, that they've done that all the way right throughout the course of the season and only added to their armoury with another player in Greenwood that has got this incredible pace and you don't know which way he's going to go, by the way, he can, you know, so good on either foot. And basically the defender's looking at it and going, uh, how do I how do I stop this guy? How do, I, how do I manage to sort of kind of get in his way? And sometimes they'll thrust out a foot thinking he might go the other way and he'll go that way and it'll be another penalty. And I, I think there's, there's some element of us there that should applaud as much as criticise or kind of examine 
and say that is down to United's shrewdness and skillfulness. Mm. Oligar and Solskjaer has, has gone on record as saying even reaching a semi-final is not good enough. Let's put it forward. Uh, if they get to the final, it looks likely that they'll be playing Inter and you'll be up against one of your old sparring partners, Dom, Antonio Conte. High maintenance, but a winner? High maintenance is putting it very kindly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he he is astonishing, isn't he? I mean, anyone who thought that he was just, that was how he was at Chelsea and it was all about about the politics of of Chelsea Football Club have seen in in this short spell at, at Inter Milan that actually he'll... (laughs) <laughs> he'll start a fight with anybody. I mean, it's astonishing. He's been, he's been, apparently he's been locked in, in on the, on the phone to the owners over of Inter Milan in, over in China. Um, and apparently they, their conversations have been fairly cordial, but he's not even arguing at the moment necessarily about recruitment, which was always his big bugbear at Chelsea. He's, he's arguing about scheduling. He's arguing about the sort of the makeup of the club, about the, <laughs> about the, 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 you know, the, the, the technical director's role. I mean, I mean, it's just, he's something else. He's, he's, he does a really good job wherever he goes. I mean, that shouldn't go for, I mean, I think a lot of these clubs now are appointing him knowing that he's going to cause them a grief and they, they're going to have headaches for the next two years before he walks out on them. But he'll do a good job in that time and, it, and, and Inter in a far better place now than when, when he took over. I mean, okay, they, did, they came second, didn't they? But that's, I think, the highest they've been since they won the treble. The, the gap to Juventus is... Has been trimmed to a solitary point. I know you've you've sort of jacked it in at the end there because they'd won it ages ago. But but there is there is signs of progress. They've already splashed out on one of the best right back stroke right wing back talents in the in the world in Hakimi from from Real Madrid via Borussia Dortmund, who's coming in to replace Victor Moses no less at San Siro, and. There's there's so much going right for them. It just seems remarkable that he would kick up such a fuss, and he could end up he could well end up the the season with a with a major European trophy to his name. Although I would say I watched the Shakhtar dismantling of of Basel, and they have got the latest wave of brilliant Brazilian attacking players, and they're also used to playing at a an empty stadium miles away from home. I mean, the, the, for this is. For them is normal given the Donbass Arena is in occupied territory at the moment. They've been doing this for what six years, so mm. I mean it's for them this isn't alien in the slightest. So I, I that, that's a that's a cracker that that tie that semi final certainly is. Let's just look a little bit at domestic matters, John Arsenal. Meza Ozil's given a an interview to Dom's platform, which is exceedingly honest inevitably provocative he's saying basically i'm not leaving he's had a go at the club in terms of their moral stance and the lack of his perceived lack of support for his causes what will be the impact of that do you think well it's just, I, I guess it just puts it out there that basically his stance which not not wanting to take the pay cut which i, I sort of suggested all along was, was actually uh, i think understandable because if the club want to take that kind of money back almost if you, if you like to kind of support themselves well I think a lot of a lot of the players would say well actually it's my money and basically I give a lot of the money to charity and so I actually think rather than kind of use it as a stick to beat it with I, I just think that some of those players who obviously sort of kind of were against it I think deserve a, a little bit of 
uh, not so much credit, but to support and understanding as to as to why they would do that. Really, I don't listen. I, they, they they want to pay him off. They want to move him on. They want to kind of try and sort of subsidise the wages. So. I, I just think that basically no one is under any illusion that, that, that Ozil doesn't want to leave Arsenal, doesn't want to go, wants to stay put, likes London. But it's just since the since the lockdown, because you've got to remember that basically before lockdown, he, he was playing every single game for Arteta and he was a central piece of that jigsaw. And then basically the, you know, lockdown happened the split over the pay cut, if you like. Well, you'd have to be incredibly naive to think that that's not had an impact, and that basically then, then uh, you know, the club and indeed Arteta have looked at it and thought something's got to change there. He was conspicuous by his absence in the closing weeks of the season. Then the theory, then that basically, he's, you know, he's gone to Istanbul in cup, FA Cup final week. He just shows how remote now he is from that first team and he has to then make a decision because he know he will know in his heart of hearts he's got absolutely no future and no chance of playing on a regular basis in that final year of his contract under Arteta. I know that Ozil felt aggrieved and that basically I think that he was sort of kind of dropped for the first time if you like and sort of rather than kind of tell him face to face I think he did so over the phone and I mean it's just that Arteta's clearly looked at it and thought I need that togetherness in my group. I need that to kind of that philosophy. I need it on and off the pitch. And I'm going to make a change. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Ozil's going to buy into that and go. And I just think it's going to be a very difficult year for him. And he's going to get pilloried. And what slightly grates with me is that every Arsenal fan was celebrating so wildly when they got Mesut Ozil to sign that contract for £350,000 a week. And they were thinking it was the best thing ever. And so you can't then just ditch him when it doesn't go right. It's absolutely absurd that the, basically the, the football fans think you can do this. I mean, look at, you know, look. I, I sort of compared it last week to Gareth Bale. I mean, Gareth Bale gets paid twice as much as Mesut Ozil. But Gareth Bale gets loads of sympathy for saying, oh, how can you ostracise? How can you, you know, freeze out a player of his talent? All I want to do is see Gareth Bale play for Real Madrid. What a waste. Well, why aren't we saying the same for Mesut Ozil? It's clear then that Arsenal kind of want to move in a different direction, want to move those wages on, because that they are incredibly financially cash-strapped at the moment. But, I mean, you can't do that. You can't just ditch a player when it does when it suits you. You can't sign him when you want and say, "Oh well, we've had enough of that. Goodbye on your way." I mean, they, they've got to think about that when they when they plan for the future and kind of take that on board. So, so I I do have some sympathy with Özil. I think he's a world class player, world class talent, and and frankly, I, I don't know that he deserves the kind of the level of criticism that sometimes he gets. Well, it's certainly a waste. I'd agree with you on that one. Just pulling it all together now, chaps, our thought for the day sequence. Anything that you'd like to get off your chest? Can I start with you, Dom? Well, I was going to look at the, the transfer market, which is unbelievably sluggish at the moment, in a desperate attempt to appeal for, for calm on everybody's Twitter feeds because nobody's going to be hashtag announcing anybody anytime soon. <laughs> but then last night there was confirmation through that, that Watford are, are going to appoint Vladimir Ivic as their latest latest manager, their fourth 
permanent manager in less than 12 months. So I thought if I've got 90 seconds, probably 30 seconds now, I'd just like to wish Mr. Rivich luck, really. Uh, you know, a club with very little patience, now back in the championship with a lot of issues to to address, not least the the future of, of star players like Ishmael Saar. There's going to be a lot of pain and a lot of readjustment there in terms of the finances. And they've already shown themselves to be impatient in terms of how the coaches do. So I just the message to Mr. Rivich, hopefully he starts the, the game, hits the ground running in the new season, because quite frankly, otherwise he could well be on his Todd come October, November, December time. Yeah, that's the light bulb culture, I'm afraid. John, you. Well, listen, I was just going to really talk about the the Champions League mini tournament that is going on at the moment. And I just think this that this is the future. I'm absolutely loving it, I have to say. <laughs> the, the Champions League and the Europa League tournament, I know it's kind of born out of out of crisis point and an absolute, you know, global tragedy. But I just think that the 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 enjoyment that this almost mini club world cup and that's what it feels like to me it's giving football fans at the moment is just it's a lesson and it's one that i think that in time either uefa or fifa will and fifa are having a go themselves aren't they basically but i think uefa will jump on this and basically make this a regular thing please don't get me wrong it's not going to be um, to replace the champions league in its current guise in its current format no chance but I do think that, that basically what will happen is that they'll find a way and a solution to, to make it work because it is so much fun. A, a game every night, you know, I think the coverage has been terrific. The magazine show that, that has been watching this week, James Richardson kind of to follow up sort of on BT Sport. It's just kind of a really kind of captures absolutely everything. It's a great deal of fun. Yes, I know it's another tournament, but we've just got to wake up and, and smell the coffee, really. That the basic football fans want to see the, the, the kind of the Champions League elite. And I think if they can see more of it, then they'll embrace it and do it. And I also think that basically that this mini tournament finally means that, that, that Europa League means something as well. Yeah, if you're a supporter of a club outside the Champions League or even the Europa League, yeah, you do, do seem that you're in a wilderness. And given that, I want to talk about the nature of a football club. Now, for me, Bobby Robson said it best. What is a club in any case? Not the buildings or the directors or the people who are paid to represent it. It's not the television contracts, get-out clauses, marketing departments or executive boxes. It's the noise, the passion, the feeling of belonging, the pride in your city. It's a small boy clambering up stadium steps for the very first time, gripping his father's hand, gawping at that hallowed stretch of turf beneath him, and, without being able to do a thing about it, falling in love. Now, those words have a special resonance. Bobby loved Newcastle United. He identified with the community and the city itself. Would he recognise a club these days? He was no stranger to turmoil, but I doubt it. This ownership crisis is grotesque. Some of the most loyal fans in football are being manipulated and politicised. Tradition has been supplanted by greed and expedience. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of this tale of would-be saviours and convenient scapegoats. 
modern football has claimed another victim. Now I'm off to collect my tin helmet, but thanks to you once again for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.